You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. Hello, everybody. Peter Maravellis here. I hope this finds you all safe and well. On behalf of City Lights booksellers and publishers, I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of City Lights Live. Over the course of this weekend, we are celebrating the life and work of our dearly beloved Michael McClure. Our celebration encompasses two events this weekend and a third on the East Coast later next week. Today, we are celebrating the launch of his final poetry collection. It's titled Mule Kick Blues, and it's published by City Lights Books. Michael's life intersected with that of City Lights in many profound ways. We consider him as one of the extended family, you could say. And so it seems so appropriate that City Lights has the great honor of publishing his important work, his final work of poetry. Tomorrow, we are hosting a second event that brings together numerous West Coast friends and admirers of Michael's in a poetry reading that continues the celebration of his life and work. It also begins at 3 p.m. The East Coast Tribute to Michael will be taking place on Sunday, May the 16th. It is uh, hosted by the Poetry Project, so you may register to attend both of these events on the City Lights website. It's www.citylights.com. With us today, we have three writers and poets who have a special affinity and connection to the work of Michael McClure. They will be celebrating Mule Kick Blues by reading excerpts and speaking about Michael and his influence upon them. All three of today's participants are well known to City Lights, having graced our halls on numerous occasions. We are honored to have with us Eileen Miles, the acclaimed poet and writer who has published over 20 works of fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and libretto. They have received numerous honors for their work, including Guggenheim Fellowship, a Warhol Creative Capital Grant, an award from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and many more. Also with us is longtime friend of the store, the poet Anne Waldman. She is co-founder of the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics at the Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado, where she still teaches. She is the author of numerous poetry collections. These include Iovis 1 and 2, The Legendary Fast-Speaking Woman, published by City Lights Pocket Poets Series, uh, Helping the Dreamer, also the book Kill or Cure, and Trickster Feminism. She has received numerous honors for her work, which include the Shelley Memorial Award, the Poets Foundation Award, the American Book Award Lifetime Achievement, amongst others. To get our afternoon started, I'd like to welcome the poetry editor at City Lights Books and longtime friend of Michael's, Garrett Caples. Garrett is a great poet in his own right. As editor for City Lights, he curates the Spotlight Poetry Series. He is the author of three full-length poetry collections of his own and a book of essays. He is also the co-editor of the uh, collected poems of Philip Lamantia, as well as editor for works by Richard O. Moore, Frank Lima, and Stephen Jonas. Garrett has a new book of his own coming out from Wave Books in the fall of 2021, titled Lovers of Today. So please welcome Garrett Caples to begin our event with an opening statement. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, everyone, for, for coming to the, this event. And uh, thank you uh, to Anne and Eileen for uh, being part of it. You know, Michael needs no introduction, but I'll give him a small one just to uh, just for form. Michael McClure was born in Marysville, Kansas in 1932 and died in Oakland, California in 2020. He was a playwright, an essayist, a novelist, a performer, and most famously a poet. In 1955, he read as part of the Six Poets at Six Gallery reading in San Francisco where Allen Ginsberg debuted Howell, and he would henceforth be considered a member of the San Francisco Renaissance and the Beat Generation. 
He appears in multiple Jack Kerouac novels under the name Pat McLear. He collaborated with many visual artists, most famously Wallace Berman and Bruce Connor. He was the subject of documentaries, most famously an episode of Richard O'Moore's 1965 public TV series, USA Poetry, in which he roars with the lions at the San Francisco Zoo. That same year, he wrote and staged the controversial play, The Beard, and he would go on to win two Obie Awards for his off-Broadway plays. He read to tens of thousands of people at the Human Being in Golden Gate Park in 1967, and he would associate and collaborate with many musicians, including The Grateful Dead, Jim Morrison, Ray Manzarek, Terry Riley, and Janis Joplin, for whom he co-wrote the famous song, Mercedes Benz. He appeared in films like Peter Fonda's The Hired Hand and Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz. He also taught for many years in, at the California College of Arts and Crafts. He wrote many books of poetry that were published by presses such as Jargon, Arhan, Grove, Black Sparrow, New Directions, and Penguin. Among his most famous works are For the Death of a Hundred Whales, Peyote Poem, Poisoned Wheat, and the book-length classic Dark Brown. Michael's association with City Lights goes back as far as 1961, when with David Meltzer and Lawrence Ferlinghetti, he edited the Journal for the Protection of All Beings. In 1963, we published his book, Meat Science Essays. And in 1964, we distributed his self-published book of beast language poems, Ghost Tantras, which we republished in 2013. In 2016, we published his book, Mephistos and Other Poems. Today, we are proud to launch the final book of poems that he lived to prepare, Mule Kick Blues. In honor of his lifetime of work as poet, Ann Waldman, Eileen Miles, and myself will read a few selections from Mule Kick Blues, and we will say a few words about the poet himself. So please join me in welcoming our first reader, Ann Waldman. Greetings, everyone. So good to be here honoring the extraordinary Michael McClure, who um, I counted as a longtime friend and traveler on this path. Uh, I like that, Garrett, in your intro, you quote that line from Mad Cub of Michael's, I can hardly walk or hold a coffee cup. I'm so eaten by self-consciousness. And, you know, it captures, he was so you know, gorgeous. And I, I think I met him first at the Cedar Bar when he was in New York at, working on the beer, the, the production of the beer, which I also saw at that time. So that's, that's a while ago. And he showed up, he came into the Cedar clutching his auto harp and his long, you know, hair. And so self-conscious, I get it, I get it. And yet, you know, when I think of all the places he traveled to and through and the, you know, he was really like the scientist, of course, you know, the ecology and the wonderful attention and to the minutiae of little things, little growing things, beautiful creatures. And they're, they're like some of those characters in Midsummer Night's Dream, Peas Blossom, you know, the little fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream. I always think of Michael in reading that play. Anyway, invoking that spirit. So I did want to start with this, a few things from the section, uh, Mortalities. And uh, I think I'll read the Thinking of Poet Su Tung Po and the uh, poem for Dojin. So this is Su Tung Po. I'm sure most of you know, Chinese poet lived 1037 to 1101 in the Song era, published under the pseudonym Dong Po Jushi. So this is Michael thinking of the poet Su Tung Po. Among roses, the absence of thorns, is the absence of perfume. Facts skim like duckweed over the surface of worlds, worlds with imagined billowings of non-stuff, shaping 
boulders and mackerel and Lincolns, worlds in which I free float imagining a battle where there is nothing but the rattle of seeds in a case inventing springtime. This body will be no body but mine, then gone. This next one, Dharma. It is all being born in this demi-instant as it passes, but the distance from the solid shining stuff is an illusion of the tangle of hormones and muscles. A mud-colored turtle flops in the pond with a splash where frogs' eyes blink just above the surface. The flesh and the light and the darkness arise together just like the skinny willow branch hanging down into the muddy water and my boyhood dreams swimming around it. And this is from Dogen Sonata II. So Japanese Buddhist philosopher, poet, was the founder of the Soto School of Japan, which these poets, Philip of course too, felt connection to Soto School. Okay, from the Sonata two, the five white plum petals open where plum blossoms open. Each petal lies back and presses pollen forward. The painter Seshu and the poet Keats dance in the cold stiff earth among roots and branches covered with suns and white blossoms. Each bough of flowers is an eye reflecting nothing in this dew drop reflecting nothing that hangs on the tip of a dark skin twig. Dropping, dropping, right now is the twig. It is dew and blossoms as the drop falls. You'll kick blues. And I'm exaggerating the caps here. Now the holy grail got no place at all. All that stuff is shit like wood alcohol. Dimensions disappearing, flitting, flicking, flaring, mules kicking in the stall. My love's a ball of melted wax. Stacks of bright robed singers singing in the polymers, reaching out with tendrils till we know we've had enough. And it doesn't stop at all. Thin sliced deer horn, lichen, scraped from rocks and threads of nothing making babies socks. Chaos and order chew with tiny teeth on edges of complexity. They make a smell like starlight and a tiger's breath. Totem faces carved in cedar, fats hung together and all turned inside out. That's what we've got. And smokestack lightning to look inside the dwarf. I'm singing somewhere in the future into something's ear, unscrolling from the proteins made from nothing near. It might be a spoon for the blackness. It could be the moon on oak tree leaves. I'm coming from my hormones with nothing left to tease. Ha, ha, ho, ho, ha, ha, ho, ho. I'm coming out from hormones and crawling on my knees. Please give me your finger. Please give me your smile. I'll never be here forever. That's a long, long while. I got star clusters. I got the hummingbird sneeze, but the holy grail got no place at all. Look into the blackness at mama, papa, nothing. 
right behind the eyes. Hi, ho, hey, hey. You are as real as something. Your eyes, your breasts, your teeth. I don't know what path I'm walking, but I know what bed I sleep. We walk together on the edge and look into the leap. But the holy grail got no place at all. We're laughing while we fall. There's a trillion ways of sinking eyes into the tar, a trillion ways, but none can see so far. Dimensions disappearing, mules kicking in the stall, but the holy grail got no place at all. This is edge chunk for Willie Dixon. Here's a word. A-G-N-O-S-I-I spells agnosia. Agnosia like a big black rose. Agnosia is knowing though not knowing. Everybody knows we are the petals and the thorns. We the cliff of meat black. Back in there and the mystic Meister Eckhart in his night petaled robe knew God through not knowing not knowing, everybody knows we are the muscle black projecting dark to put the black on back on all things on the edge, chunk material reality, smiling in the teeth of old despair. Death is beside the point, we're always dead. And in every way, this flesh is every way alive where the singers in the night are coyote voices of black and scarlet, Roses choiring on the radio that bursts the dawn while helicopters puke on children and flash out harsh pools of circling light. Don't tell me this is real because it is the edge chunk of what I feel. I hold the black, you hold the light. I surrender, I'm a mystic. I tremble in the shambles and the brambles when my enemies come to get me. This is the night I'm not halfway free. Wear the suit of silk and whistle in the graveyard. Slinky silk upon the thigh. Head hurts. Where's the crisis? Shoulders clench. The beggars are coming to town. Some in rags and some in tags and some in velvet gowns. Rattle in the gears of old cars. So ha, there's a black cave with a mouth in there. Black cave with a mouth in there, and it loves me, looking up at me, edge chunk, agnosia, moment of grace. Let's not hide it, hide it, edge chunk, come in black, roses like some hero's shoulders, moment of grace. It all pours like long, lean cars, lean cars, mustangs, and never moves. Vision quest, momentary grace. If I had a thousand senses, I could tell you why molecules are lies and what we truly are, not quarks or hadrons or drunken flies or raindrops falling on magnolia leaves or sheaves of titillating fingers clipped from the edge chunks of the things we smell. We can say goodbye, hell, hello, heaven, and it doesn't even mean as much as sparrow shit on the walls of a football stadium. I surrender, I cower, I am a worm churning in the apple flower. I beg pity of the world, I make in my lusts for them. This is our beginning and we're flexing biceps in the shadow of the end. I am the cloud, I am the cloud, I'm just chicken a la king. 
I am the cloud of unknowing. A G N O S A. Osia. There's a word. Some word. Black wine. Yay, I love you, Mama. I'm going to drink black wine. Well, I love you, Mama. I'm going to drink black wine. I'm going to put my hairy hands on the table. Going to hold the broken cup and drink black wine. We come from no place. And I'm going there all the time. Crickets singing in the evening, chirping in the darkest time. I hear you telling me. I hear you telling me, saying, I got to go. We got to go. When the crickets singing, hairy hands on the table, holding the blackest wine. Crickets singing in the evening, chirping in the darkest time. There's a drum out there there in the sunlight there's a drum out there in the sunlight but crickets sing in the evening chirping in the darkest time well i love you mama i'm going to drink black wine yeah 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 oh yeah do two more um howland blues spank me with a rose i'm headed for jail just headed for jail see the little sparrow with her eyes on the hawk everything around is just more talk don't use a knife to pound in a nail. Spank me with a rose. I'm headed for jail. Hawk, he's hungry and sparrow tastes good. Feathers fall down by the side of the road. It's a long way back to where stars lie in bed. Spank me with a rose. Hawk, he's hungry and sparrow tastes good. Spank me with a rose. It's a long way back to where stars lie in bed. I'm headed for jail. Don't use a knife to pound in a nail. Lead belly blues, lead belly blues, get me in my bones. I'm sick of old folks' tears and baby groans. I'm chock full of this lion eating Rome. I'm going where the eagle is going. Zero, America, I'm going home. I'll be where I hold my lover at night. My head's a hammer and my toes are stones. She's got a bed the color of a rose. Rain on the roof in the morning light. Lead belly blues get in my bones. Rain on the roof in the morning light. Yay. Thank you so much, Anne. That was amazing. That was amazing. I thought I would read a few poems next. I, uh, I was very lucky to get to know Michael uh, through, first through working on Philip Lamantia, and he was very generous with his, uh, you know, support of working on Philip's uh, work. And um, then we started uh, started doing things, books for City Lights. Uh, and uh, if I had any impact on New Kid Blues, I, I just wanted to mention that he, he was so much about like supporting his friends that like he buried, the poems that I put up front were kind of buried in the manuscript, you know, after you know, various homages to people. And I got him to put them up front uh, because he, you know, he really was wrestling with, uh, you know, life and death uh, near the end of his life. So I want to just read some of these poems because they're pretty, pretty amazing stuff. So the first poem in the book doesn't have a title. Mortality is beauty. The beast spirit lives forever in figures of flesh that may not know their inhabitants. Our shapes are meeting as we always greet another. Love invented by knights on horseback and infinite senses in the saddle, this myriad trail in all dimensions. Sacred figures, agglomerations of matter and bacteria, Lord Byron drunk in his comedy of divinity, cold literal divides toes and surge, swirls of stardust. 
This is a winter solstice. Within endless space, in tiny explosions of gasoline, my consciousness hardens into a wall. I am separate from plum blossoms and mountains. Aching teeth become movies as I grow young again. Dark hair and eyebrows swirl in delighted delusion. Big memories of pleasure enwrap a mind as substantial as a drift of snowflakes onto a warm hood and less intelligent than the thin black spider in the morning sink before breakfast time. Your smile is my kindness and it thrills me. I have never been so real before. This poem is called This Body. It was dedicated to Tom White. This body, not divided by self and by others, is all there was and shall be, and is expanded by a thousand irresponsible skandhas, not blamable for nothing, constituting samadhi, being rivers, being cacti, being odors of creeks and moths, being thunderstorms, rose petals, and tank treads. Birth and death are not in the ten directions, and outside of them is a birth and death more quiet than clouds over a dogfight. Reflecting each other brings about nothingness. Falling and preceding one another does the same. The lion's roar is the shape of a hailstorm. The physics of this is confusion, because it is the real physics of how it might have happened. Hunger for knowledge is greed, ignorance, and confusion. But it's so difficult to know without bundles of senses brushing against fistfuls of memories. Tell me it does not matter, and I hear you. Tell me this body is the ten directions, smoking with fine particles, each one holding a physique, bringing about particles. It is large and has no scale, no more proportion than a cat's face in a dream, like a basket of pine cones in an old wooden hall, lit by the setting sun, and it is outside of everything coming to being. It all arises at once into bundles of sense and perception, dripping lipids and assembling activities of cause and effect. It counts stars pretending to fit smoothly into ideas, utterly and totally blank, ever present as the white peak mountain beyond the field of red tulips. This one is called Death Poems. One, to grow old is a joy preceding the big one. Death is a dark chocolate cake, sweet and filled with deep blue tortures. A golden ivy crown decorated with damp moss and pearls is less heavy. The great blue heron sails overhead, her crop filled with frogs, making a shape of tendon grace. A feathered hand and arm rise and point where the stream flows. But that is imagination, as the rest is. It is form and emptiness that I die too. It is where the end and beginning are a car chase in the movie about warring armies of minds. It is ordinary as a windowsill with worn gray paint and dull as a bent license plate. It is the smell of a box to be dropped in a fire and ashes thrown in the eye of a hurricane. A bonfire made with icicles is like this. It is a burning up of losses, sweet and filled with deep blue tortures. To grow old is a joy preceding the big one. Two, death is comprised of deep blue tortures and filled with dark chocolate cake. Birth has gone with the losses of endless imagination. A round leaf whirls at the tip of a spider thread. In late winter, I will study the whiteness of plum blossoms and look for knots in an old trunk 
at the edge of a forest fire near some deer bones. Three. A deep blue torture is fearing your death more than mine. White plum petals fall on snow in Chinese poetry, and the beauty of the streaming of all these shapes is fascinating. Your smell and touch move through mine like red and blue wildflowers in the meadow beyond the brick wall. At night, the black cat would shred the calico cat, but there's a window between as they jump and growl. I think they love each other. Battling through walls is a deep blue torture. Your death would end spring. See, I forget the Dharma. To the central fly buzzing in my ear, I'm a warm, good-tasting stone. Four. Four years old, Dick Tracy dies in a backyard playhouse, nursed by the girl from across the street. We unbutton my shirt. My skin and breath feel funny. It is sexy. My detective hat hangs on a hook. I die for justice, a hero. The plane drops 10,000 feet towards the China Sea. Yellow oxygen masks flop from the overhead bins. Someone begins her heart attack. Death is a gray endlessness as the ship levels out into flight. John F. Kennedy commands Nikita Khrushchev to remove the Russian hydrogen missiles poised in Cuba. Puppets shake nuclear fists. Surely this is my last night. Nothing hurts like death by old age or shitting to death in a fever of dehydration and filth or being cut into ribbons and gobbets on white rubber sheets while young people watch from the bedside. How little I learn of the limitless Dharma. To grow old is a joy preceding the big one. Okay, now let's read two more. This one is called Restore the Ordinary. Now I see the perception is a shape of the darkness seeing itself. Nothingness filled with clouds of pictures and sculptures and odors is our naked bodies wound in arm loving each other in the cool room. Cluster bombs drop on Serbia and shamrocks with dark edges grow from a bowl in a memory from young manhood. If I had a soul, I would give it to you. Together we are nowhere, just where we want to be. The shape of this is perfectly beautiful. And this last one is called listening as dust. The child knows it is all black behind the eyes and that flesh is a swirl of hungry fantasies, each loving the others. The Bodhisattva knows nothing and is only listening as dust and chrome and snow peaks expand from listening. Compassion arises from clearly seeing. It is not a part of sentiment. A shark floating with white belly, sinking into the sand and gentle barbells moving over rows of teeth, knowing that everything is alive and will someday cross to another side cross to the other side and we'll be nowhere and coming into being. Thank you very much. And I would like now to introduce Eileen Miles. Yay. Thank you. This has been so great. And I feel so lucky to, to be reading this work and to be knowing this book, which is so awesome. You know, my own, I only met Michael once, I think probably in the last, in the last 10 years, some, I think in Oakland at some group, event and um and it was very wonderful and very warm and i was i'm very happy that it happened because i think as a younger person he just was the kind of older poet that pissed me off and i think it was kind of a some kind of trans crush you know what i mean like as as a young queer he was the guy that i wanted to be and he had the career that i want you know because he seemed like the poet who got to do everything and um it's an astonishing you know i taught a 
class at NYU in the graduate program a couple of years ago. And it was about, it was like the poet as institution. And I taught, you know, like all sorts of different poets who really work the, the room differently. And Michael was so intriguing to look at and to talk about. And I showed them clips from Show Me the Waltz and I showed them, you know, him growling at tigers. And we looked at the poems, which they, they were like, I like this, but I don't know if that's okay. You know, because his shifts and states of consciousness, I mean, he's just a genius at going from the micro and the macro so fast, you know? And, and, I, and I think while I was sort of angry, crushing at him in the 70s and 80s, I, I was a huge fan of the plays because again, he proposed that poets could write these amazing plays and they were still in repertory in New York at the time, Spider Rabbit with Taylor Mead and The Beard, which I think I've made every girlfriend I've ever dated read The Beard with me because it's so much fun and it's so weird gender wise. And so he was kind of, and I didn't, again, I didn't like the poems much or was against the poems until someplace in the nineties, some poet in the Northwest made me, because all that uppercase stuff, I was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It just seems too big and hippie and and then somebody made me look at them and I was like whoa that's interesting and slowly I've crept over them to them becoming ultimately a huge fan because I think he negotiates so many kinds of consciousness in such a performative it's like the public and the private are always shifting and that self-conscious remark it makes so much sense because it is that kind of agony of narcissism and ecstasy with the complexity of the world and you know and it's so incredible so I'm, i have three poems to read and i the first one is is that famous for the death of 100 whales and it's so amazing i'll read the intro probably most people know this in april 54 time magazine described 79 bored american gi stationed in a nato base in iceland murdering a pod of 100 killer whales in a single morning, the soldiers armed with rifles, machine guns and boats rounded up and then shot the whales to death, which is, you know, a horrible, horrible event. But he finishes it. I mean, this this comes with the poem and most renderings. He goes, I read this poem at my first reading in 1955, which just happened to be the gallery six reading. And he was 23 years old and he wrote this poem, which is so you know, I checked with Peter because I've, I've just read this amazing book called Beasts of Burden by um, Sonara Taylor. And it's, it's a work that's about animal rights and about disability. And I have to say that Michael's work is so, you know, the most contemporary work, which is, I think, about aging and mortality, which, you know, I think disability rights touches on in profound ways and the ecstasy of disability, that disability isn't a lack. And then Michael's interest in animals, which is constant in the work. And so I, I just find him so blessedly modern and postmodern at this moment in time. So let me just rip into these poems, which are so great. Hung mid-sea like a boat mid-air, the liners boiled their pastures, the liners of flesh, the Arctic steamers. Brains the size of a teacup, mouths the size of a door, the sleek wolves, mowers and reapers of sea kind, the giant tadpoles meet their algae, leapt like sheep or children shot from the sea's boar. Turned and twisted, Goya flung blood and sperm incense, gnashed at their tails and brothers cursed Christ of mammals, snapped at the sun, ran for the sea's floor, 
Goya, Goya. Oh, Lawrence, no angels dance those bridges. Oh, gun, oh, bow. There are no churches in the waves, no holiness, no passages or crossings from the beast's wet shore. It's such an astonishing poem to have written in your 20s. And it, and it follows all through the career. This next one is a longer poem called Flower Garland Froth for Zen Shen Ryufu Philip Whalen on the 25th anniversary of the ordination of Philip Whalen. Through the skandhas, the bundles of brightness and hungers arises more foam, making foam with no origin but mutual reflection, taste, hunger, perception, thought, no joke, not even traps, gorgeous manacles. Physical foam bubbles, sensation bubbles, perception bubbles, conditioning bubbles, consciousness bubbles, Mallarmé's huge passions and Francesco Clementi's tiny skinny dock figures and the joy of their excrement and bright excitement and Blake's fairies and caterpillars swimming in nada right where we breathe. The circus of celebration runs away with us, not us with the circus, pulling us out of the big top like kernels from a wrinkled shell, more foam. Foam popping by the side of the river, rainbow bubbles burst while reflecting all things from a black smooth rock made of bubbles. A white hand reaches to fill a vase from the cool stream. Bronze vase clinks on a stone. Foam, more foam. Foam where a skunk drinks from the trickle, elegant black and white fur of foam. Sound of the water, foam bubbles. Fur of a moving truck in the west wet forest paint chips on mulch, a huge presence and purpose bursting into being with everything, solid nothing. Solid foam bubbles bursting into old shoes, new shoes, black with high tops, bubbles of iridescent soil on the soles. Smell of redwood and wet mulch and countless realms of reflections in just one body or none trickling over the mirror. Here is the true content of experience, the untrue content of experience. Silver raindrops falling on bubbles, words spill from sleep, hungry ghosts behind trees, push over dreams, dreams not true. Tiny black seeds rattle in an envelope, big scarlet flowers, bubbles, foam. A sword with edges of flame slashes the walls, black ant circle a bubble of honey, zebras, Wild beast at the waterhole, smell of red dust in the air, it is foam. Uncoiling fiddle-necked ferns, astroturf, voices of wisdom, blade through a rainbow membrane. Everything smiling with halos and imaginary radiance, all foam. Real as delusion and the sunyata physics of pond plants and hot air ducts blowing into outburstings of snowbanks. These caves are inhabited by nothings constructed of bubbles. I drive them around and eat them. Falcon shapes woven in gray silk, tension of plum buds in night fog, stars a trillion years from the mist, bubbles all in one, one in all, hidden in moss in the redwoods near a Butterfinger wrapper. The sound of the downpour on walls is bubbles bursting into stuff of delusion, fine as a new chip on an old tooth, like the technicolor movie of smells projected between raindrops on a screen of touches and tastes. The message of flannel is foam. 
for the shoulders and the perfume while floorboards shine perfectly clear. I rise proud to be being as I am, and I lie silent, not knowing I know, I know. The long gone delicacy and meat of apricots, sun heated on branches and waves and caverns of fuel, smashing the earth in the arising and pouring of patterns. I love those who fight this. I hand them the primate crown, shimmering with hunger and automobiles and velvet and contracts and postage and duckweeds and emeralds and jazz. This is not mine. This will not be mine. This is not mine. This will not be mine. This is not mind. This will not be mind. This is no body. This will not be body. Me is not mine. It appears on the tip of an eyelash, a bubble, foam. So crazy great. And now this is his last poem, which is astonishingly and fits right in with all the rest called The Fleshy Knave for Jane and Bill. To say that the mechanism is finely tuned and precise is a gargantuan understatement. Not to know that we are all from viruses to mammoths, swimmers in the infinitely stretching primordial soup is to call life a dull Daydream. There's no end to the reach of the surge into the past and future. From bacteria's plain throb to the dolphin's imagination is one image in the ripple of the waves. And the eyes of the sky are endless waves. Each particle is a chorister in the fleshly nave. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Oh. Thank you, Eileen. That was wonderful to hear, especially the... Uh the Philip Whalen poem. That's an extraordinary poem that you can't picture anyone else writing anything like that. You know, <laughs> so singularly Michael in, in his, uh, you know, his concerns and, and beliefs. I thought we maybe could just talk, talk a little bit about, about Michael uh, in the few minutes we have left. You know, I'm still, I feel like I'm still processing what an extraordinary person in mind he was like that I've, I've barely scratched the surface and I'm learning I've learned more about him almost since he died than when I knew him you know but I guess I wanted to go back to um what you said about the, the poem the death of a hundred whales and just how ahead of its time that is mm -hmm. because uh I mean did they even have the word anthrocentrism back then <laughs> you know it's it's like he was already on this, you know, very modern purchase on uh, on ecology. I don't, I don't have a question. I'm more just curious about people's thoughts about that, I guess, either. Well, it's also like docu-poetics. Docu I mean, just really <laughs> responding to the urgency and crises. And I, I mean, that was one of the most powerful poems read at that Gallery 6. I always try to reference that back. And, you know, he's a Dharma poet, which is not a term always used and in, you know you feel he's in some lineage and it's incredible how he works through you know it's like Hinayana taking you know just taking care so so connected so noticing everything I love this line there's the beautiful poem for Gary where he's standing and I think it's on the slope under morning stars I walk ahead of the ripples traveling in crescent sheets and I stop to see them pass me Mm -hmm. So there's always this sense of being in time and some kind of flow and some kind of continuum 
forward and back and in, you know, in these different life forms and so on, always with, you know, rain or water, something going on. So it's, it's on so many levels operating on so in this visceral, very much, uh, you know, through the uh, ayatanas, all the gateways of the body, you know, the various gateways, and then those become kind of, um, you know, powerful uh, wisdoms within. So you feel his, con his consciousness is on all these levels all the time in the poems without bringing that kind of attention to it, without being formally Buddhist or whatever. And through these, the things of the, the 100,000 things of, the, of this world, and yet, the, and then the shape, of course, the shape, which is, you know, moving out of the spine. Now I found it very, my favorite earlier poems were the dark brown, but then the ghost tantras, of course, and the, all the animal sounds, that's where I first kind of actually heard him in a way that was so, such a body experience. You know, you were with the, um, you know, this other kind of uh, realm in the, in the bardo. So he's often in that, you know, past the, the, this sense of continuum, things passing by, the road, the way, the Taoist, you know, way. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, yeah, radical in a way for, you know, and of course there was a lot of attention to these older texts and at the time, you know, in, in the fifties, I mean, I remember things seemingly influenced by, you know, all kinds of Dharma stuff, but he, he got at it at another, in another level. And that, yeah, the gallery six, the fact that he was there at that age, and just continued the way he continued and became, you know, this kind mm -hmm. of rock star and yet this Johnny Appleseed, you know, planning. Yeah, it's, it's built into the consciousness because it's media, like it's that foam poem is so clearly, I mean, referencing Technicolor, referencing Butterfingers, but the Technicolor in particular, because I just think it, it is such an awareness that our consciousness of the body or consciousness of nature our consciousness of the dharma it's all media you know it's like it's all you know and mediated you know it's such a it's like the consciousness is so i saw in the chat paul nelson commented and paul i've got to give a shout out paul is the person in the 90s who showed me michael's work and said you've got to look at this because i was like i don't want to look at that old hippie and i was like holy shit you know but it is, I mean, and it's negotiated by energy, the explosions and even the uppercase. It's sort of like, we're so used to it now from texting and it's loud and stuff, but on the page, we know typographically what it means. And it is an expansive move all the time, just like the lowercase I. And it's sort of like what the way we tell stories through graphics and, and you know, and using the, the wide floating page, which again comes out of typography, because I think we, we who learned to write poems on typewriters know about throwing the carriage around, you know, and so did calligraphy, you know, and the carriage being the body. So it's it's just linked on so many crazy levels. It's such rich work, you know, and it makes sense too that he did theater because again, you just, and and worked with, you know, rock musician, you know, like get using the body, getting off the page, you know. I was curious, uh, Garrett, if you had ha had any conversation with him about, you know, contemporary technology. I mean, great, you bring that in, Eileen, around technology and so on. Just if you would have had the conversation about data flows and this sort of um, aggression on the body and where he was, was he working uh, on his computer? Was he doing yeah, emails? I mean, yeah, he did work on the computer. I think, you know, I think somewhat grudgingly, you know, <laughs> that, uh, I mean, he definitely is one of those poets who like, uh, if you look at the, 
the word file, he definitely treated a computer like a typewriter, you know, <laughs> like he was still, you know, throwing in carriage returns and the whole business. And um, yeah, I mean, I think there was a, uh, I don't think he was like a Luddite or anything like that, but I think there was a deep skepticism of the, of the contemporary, uh, what would you call it, the uh, po you know, post-information age, the disinformation age that, that we're in, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot in what both of you said. I was struck by um, Eileen talking about the visual aspect of, uh, of his uh, poetry, because I feel like, and I like Anne particularly's perspective on this, uh, but also Eileen, that he's one of the few poets who grasps the, the idea of like the poster as a medium for poetry, you know, and it seems to be born out of his sort of hate Ashbury connection and his playwriting, you know, because you have to publicize things. Mm -hmm. But I was curious what you guys thought about about his use of posters and things like that in a way that a lot of poets never tried. Well, I think of John Giorno in New York, you know, it's a, it a very different kind of thing, but there were these event, you know, bigger events, everything yeah. more broadcast. No, they're very elegant, always interesting. The I'm trying to think, do you have any do you have any handy you can show up, show us all? Oh my god. Uh <laughs> So you mean he made these posters? Yeah, yeah, like, um, yeah, I don't, let me, uh, I don't know this. Let me find one, hold on. And I think he was, was he pretty involved with the, uh, with the design of the book? Uh, well, I, I made him that, that picture and, uh, oh, wow. he really liked it. But this well, is one of his posters. Always had a lot of words. I mean, cool. they, they were, po they yeah. were poem posters, really. Yeah. And what he did was he, I know with these, this type of poster in particular, he was going to, a uh, place that made boxing posters, mm -hmm. you know, where, and he initially used that idea for the beard for uh, Gene Harlow versus Billy the Kid. And then he kept going with it and doing different things. And he has a, this is a Blake picture that he has okay. uh, appropriated and put in there. Interesting. And, wow, I didn't know about this stuff. Yeah, and it's like, I feel like he's he's practically the only poet of that generation sort of messing around with that aspect of maybe psychedelic culture, you know, that mm -hmm. that it was, uh, you know, I was just saying there's a documentary called The Maze or it was a TV show called The Maze that has an episode on Haight-Ashbury in 67. And they just kind of follow Michael around the hate. And one of the most interesting things about it is he goes into a poster store and starts talking about uh, the poster as a, you know, relatively new medium mm -hmm. to work with, so. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a 19th century, it's an early, it's an early thing, right? It's a pre-20th yeah. century thing, which I think is very interesting too about is him as a, did he get a PhD? How much of a scholar, was he just sort of a, a vernacular scholar? He didn't get- I forget, I mean, he studied with Duncan at, at San Francisco State and he got a degree there. And that might've been a great, that was at least a master's, I think. Yeah, because um, I'm thinking about the, you know, the Chaucer too, like he was yeah. very good at falling through history as part of the scale. Yeah. Also there's Blake is on that poster. So yes. 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 Blake's, you know, yeah. incredible. Yeah, in terms of poets who used visual. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. elements, you know, and also I think it was cause he, he had a lot of artist friends as well and wanted to get in, in on that, you know, like the uh, things he did with Wallace Berman say. I was just know. gonna bring up Berman as yeah. like, you know, somebody was mm -hmm. in league with. The posters would make an interesting collection as a sort of a big soft book. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many there are even, but uh, but you know they go throughout his career. It seems uh, 
he has posters of one sort or another. And sometimes they're just ads for, you know, a play, you know, lots of great posters for the beard. And then sometimes they're like these poem posters that are quite fascinating. So, uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like people don't even know the extent of what, <laughs> what Michael was up to yet. You know, it's like they haven't caught up to it. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. We've got a couple minutes, but- um, Is there any uh, plans? Are there people interested in doing the plays? I mean, are the plays circulating still? How's that going? I, I would think sure. this would be a good time to- Yeah. I had my students at NYU read the plays and they, they spied a rabbit. People couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> it blew their minds. I think there's a new audience. Oh, yeah, good. I agree. I think there's a new audience. Yeah, because that's I barely, I barely even fathomed his playwriting. You know, I know it was a huge part of his his writing, and it's like I still have lots to uh, digest with with Michael. So, but yeah, I guess you know that's coming up on on four. So I think, I think we did it. I think we're there. Yeah, mm, that um, was wonderful. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you. Yeah. So great Thank to hear you. So much in this book. There's so many ranges and sections. I, I, I love the intro of describing how you, you know, you put it together and. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's a great essay. Thanks. Well, that was really, really quite beautiful, everyone. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody in the audience. Uh, it's been a very lively chat. Today's event was sponsored by the City Lights Foundation. It's furthering the legacy of our late founder, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. The store is open for business. I just want to remind everyone, please do come on down. We're open uh, seven days a week from noon till 8 p.m. Uh, do wear masks. We're not totally out of the woods insofar as COVID is concerned. So that's all for now. Please stay safe. Be well. We look forward to seeing you all again soon. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.